Hello, hello, welcome everyone back to the Canadian Perspective. Um, it's been quite a while since we last did a podcast, um, and I'd like to apologize to everyone for that. You know, life gets in the way, and of course, you know, we're all busy, we all got jobs, right? And we all got social lives, so I apologize for missing a week, um, or maybe even a little bit more than a week, so... Uh, I'm sorry for that, everyone. Uh, today, like I was saying, life gets in the way. People are busy. Derek is unable to join us. And so you might ask, are we really back if only half of the podcast is here? You had a good point. So, you know, but I do have to say this, my job is a lot easier, primarily because that um, we have a lot of news to cover a lot of very important things that happened in the interim between the last episode and this one. Um, very important things, things that, uh, let's just go right into. So the topics that we got lined up, of course, I'm talking about Afghanistan. Finally, the United States pulls out of Afghanistan after how many years? How many years is that? 20 years in Afghanistan. And of course, with that, the Canadian forces are also pulling out. And we'll be seeing what the aftermath of that pullout is. And uh, talking about the situation that created the whole uh, Taliban. The situation that created the Taliban and whatnot. And then even more of a hot button issue is the election that was called by the liberals in Canada. So we're in election season now, I guess. So that's interesting. So we'll be talking about that. Um, we also may mention the in the United States, the moratorium, the ban on evictions did not pass the Supreme Court, something that I was not aware was a possibility. The Supreme Court said, uh, well, Joe Biden and the Democrats attempted to begrudgingly attempted to lengthen the moratorium on evictions, because, as you know, COVID-19 hit, nobody could go to work and the stimulation checks were just not enough for people to be able to pay their rent and whatnot. And so the only thing that stopped people from being kicked out of their homes was a stop on evictions, a law preventing landlords from being able to evict people from their premises. So that didn't pass. Apparently they had to get approval from the Supreme Court and they didn't get it. So, looks like some people are going to be, there's going to be a lot more homeless people in the United States. So we'll be talking about those main three topics. It's going to be mostly a, f a short, a shorter podcast today. At least I think it will be. Um, and so, let's get right into it. I mean, I got no banter, you know. We would, we would banter before we go into the topics. It's not happening. Because it's just, it's just me. So. <laughs> so, yes. So. The first story I guess we should cover, because I guess it's more of a hot-button issue, we're going to talk about the Liberals calling for an election. So we all know about this, because this would happen like, you know, two weeks ago or so, but basically, on August 15th, for those unaware, the Liberal Party of Canada, with Justin Trudeau as their leader, they called for a snap election to be held on September 20th. So this is not the... Um, Usually after four years, an election is forced. 
Um, but you can force an election before that via votes in the uh, House of Commons. So that's what the Liberal Party of Canada decided to do. And they announced this on August 15th, and it will be held on September 20th. Now, that is going to be 36 days long. The campaign, which is the shortest possible election period under federal law. What? <laughs> a 36-day-long campaign. You look at the United States, and they have, like, two years of campaigning. First, they got the primary, and then they have to do the, the uh, general election. And it is just a grueling slog. And it's too long, to be honest. And then here in Canada, we get just over a month just over a month to decide on what happens in the next four years, you know, if it, unless if they call for another snap election in that time, a max of four years, right? So, <laughs> like, the gears barely even get turning by the time we get to the actual vote, right? For campaigns to, like, fully realize and roll out and get all the volunteers and stuff. So, it's very, um, very disruptive. And I do have a an idea as to why they decided to choose the shortest possible period. Well, A, it's a snap election. So whenever they, they vote for an election early, usually it's going to be short. That's always been the case. But the shortest possible, usually it's not that extreme. Um, another of my theories is if you look at the new COVID-19 cases in Canada, and I hate to bring up, you know, the, uh, the word that must not be named. But COVID-19 is, and I hate to say this, guys, but it looks like it's going for a fourth wave. So since mid-July, uh, we had 321 new cases on July 13th, which was the very bottom, the lowest. And then now, uh, so it went from 321 new cases on July 13th to now 3,340 new cases on August 26th. So there's uh, been, a, been an increase. You can see on the graph the line is going up again. So most likely fourth wave, possibly probably due to the Delta variant, definitely due to the Delta variant. And uh, even though we have like a very good vaccination numbers, right? More than 70% of people age 12 and older are fully inoculated, which is very good. But still, we're seeing an increase in cases. So perhaps the reason why they want this campaign to be so short is they're trying to get ahead of that fourth wave, you know, to get the maximum, not only the maximum amount of uh, campaigning possible if you want to do door knocking and whatnot. I don't even know if, if that's even allowed right now. But it, I guess it depends on the province you're in. But, you know, the current, you know, one of the reasons also... So half of Canadians, uh, you know, there were some polls done on opinions, um, and apparently like almost 50% of Canadians think he handled the pandemic well, and less than a quarter think it was done badly, uh, and I guess the rest were falling somewhere in that neutral area. And, uh, and if you look at the economy, the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, which is a, um, a neoliberal institution, which is actually pretty terrible for developing nations. They're known for, you know, giving out these loans um, to uh, third world countries trying to recover from whatever past trauma they had, like wars and, and um, regime change and whatnot. And in order for them to receive the loan, they would have to implement certain policies that were extremely capitalistic. <laughs> 
and not very good for the local population. But anyways, I digress. That's not relevant. So the IMF expects Canada's economy to grow by 6.3% this year, which is above the Western country's average of 5.6% growth. This is coming out of, well, supposedly coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic. But I mean, we might be going into another fourth wave. So, you know, hold on to your hats. Not quite sure that's going to be what happens. But really something interesting to say about this whole situation is that, you know, Trudeau is trying to do, uh, you know, Trudeau is trying to recreate history in a way. He's trying to do exactly what he's trying to follow in his father's footsteps. Um, in 1972, uh, Pierre Trudeau saw the liberals form a minority government. Two years later, he called a snap election and regained the majority, which would hold for another 10 years. The liberals would hold. So, of course, we had a minority government. I think our election was, I forget what our election was. Was it 2019? That's right. The last election was in 2019. I can't believe I already forget that. forgot that. But... Yeah, he's attempting to do a similar thing by um, trying to recreate what Pierre Trudeau did. Now, um, of course, in order to uh, give you guys some sort of estimate as to what the outcome of the election is, there's a wonderful website that is a poll aggregator, which is called 338canada.com. And you can look through the polls for provincial politics and federal politics. And it uh, aggregates all of them, gives you an average, and you can see all the individual results as well. And, you know, <laughs> since when was this called? Again, why am I forgetting this, these things? Since the 15th. Okay, so since they called for the election, the polls, even before the election, we saw the liberals having like a 15, uh, a 10 plus 10 point lead average heading into the call for the election. And then after the election uh, was called, uh, we saw their lead begin to thin quite significantly. And by thin, we're talking plus one or two or three points above um, in the lead. And eventually we got to the 24th of August, which has the 24th of August, where we saw basically the conservatives from every poll taken from the 24th of August and on, the conservatives have been in the lead. And currently, the leader is the conservatives, if you look at the average, with uh, plus 1.4 points in the lead ahead of the conservatives. And so the conservatives, and so the liberals are trying to get a majority government with a majority of seats in the whole house. And just about, mm, and three weeks before the election is called, there is a razor thin margin between the liberals and the conservatives. That's not a good look. That's not a good look at all. In fact, if the if the election was called today, you would see a conservative minority government. You would see like 142 conservative seats to 138 liberal seats. And the NEP have been doing a lot um, better in the polls right now. The NEP are sitting at 19.6. Uh, on average, which is um, compared to the Liberals, 32.1, the Conservatives, 33.5, NEP, 19.6, the Greens, 4.2, the Bloc, 6.2, and then the horrible uh, People's Party of Canada, 3.6. So the NEP are doing a little bit better. We might, uh, if the election was held today, we would pick up uh, 
about eight or nine more seats, which it would be nice, but it's not quite what we want. Now, I want everybody to keep in mind the liberals tactic, and it's been this way since basically the, the 80s, has been to, and it's gotten worse and worse as time has gone, gone on, has when they campaign, they campaign as the left party of Canada, as the leftist option. That's, that's what they like to uh, advertise themselves as being, right? With the whole legalizing marijuana issue and the whole, um, they have a lot of rhetoric about, oh, we're going to tax the rich and we're going we're gonna to implement, um, you know, all these healthcare stuff. We're going to um, be more tough, better for the environment and whatnot. And a lot of those promises the leftist promises they made on the campaign trail in 2019 fell through, right? If you remember, Canada, of course, is in the Paris Accord, the Environmental Paris Accord. And even though Trudeau likes to say things like, oh, the liberals, we're, um, we support the Paris Accord and we're trying to, uh, you know, make things better for the environment and fight climate change. And then they go ahead and they bought, I think this was in, in 2018, so this was before that election, in 2018, the federal government bought the trans mountain pipeline the one that goes from uh, i think alberta through british columbia uh for 4.5 billion dollars to save the pipeline which is against the um the paris accord which we're in which is building a new fossil fuel infrastructure which we're not supposed to be doing and so you know they're full of shit um the whole if you remember pharmacare you know underneath our universal health care system we don't cover pharmaceuticals well the ndp i think in February proposed a, a private member's bill that would create like a legal framework for creating a, um, a uh, universal pharmacare and adding that to the system. And the liberals said, I think they campaigned that they would do that. Um, of course, that's a lie. They won't do that. And they voted it down. They voted it down because they don't, they don't want you to have, you know, the same things that, you know, France and Germany and, and other developed nations have, Sweden. Denmark, Slovenia, you know, all these places, the, the UK, you know, they don't want us to join the rest of the world and, you know, actually taking care of uh, and improving our healthcare and taking care of all of our citizens. Instead, they want to do the half measures. And uh, if you remember the Canadian wage subsidy that they had or the uh, for during the, the COVID-19 pandemic to uh, stop businesses from firing workers, remember, they were giving that out. We covered this whole story. They're giving out an insane amount majority of all those funds went to massive companies and a lot of them didn't actually use it to hold on to workers they still laid off workers and in some cases they paid dividends to their shareholders you know and there was no and instead of the liberal government deciding to you know punish those people those companies that took the wage subsidy and then basically said oh thanks thanks for the free money and then clearly wasn't in any sort of uh, state of emergency because they were able to pay out dividends and record like very well on their balance sheets and in their quarterly uh, reports. Uh, instead, the liberals decided to go after the people who got the, uh, the CERB, um, taking litigation against uh, people who got the CERB and maybe didn't necessarily need it when they promised that they wouldn't claw that back which was the term they used they wouldn't claw back the serb from people who may have gained the system a little bit and of course they lied about that so that's who they're going they're going after the little the little guys who who took a little bit a little few 
a few too many crumbs than uh, they were allotted from the government. Whereas, you know, these giant companies that took uh, the whole fucking cookie, uh, they get to run off with the bag. So interesting this idea for all those people um, interested. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen with this campaign. You know, I hope the NDP does well. Um, Jugmeet Singh has been on the campaign trail saying things like, uh, quote, we are the only party saying very clearly that there's a third option, which is make the ultra rich pay their fair share and invest that into healthcare and to housing and to justice for indigenous people, he said. Right. Exactly. So as you know, the liberals not very good track record when it came to justice for indigenous people. As you know, they were taking, uh, what was it, thousands of those uh, indigenous kids to court over what was it, the child welfare benefit that they were owed, and the Supreme Court of Canada said that you have to pay them, and the Liberals said, no, we're going to take you guys to court over it uh, through, via litigation because we don't think, uh, we, we don't want to give it to you. After, this is after, we started digging up all those bodies, right? After we started digging up all those bodies. Now, was there a federal inquiry immediately after that to, like, fund all of these um, excavations for lost remains now would that have been very helpful yes so you know i hope the ndp does well in this election uh i'm getting phone calls from them of course if you didn't know i'm biased so i'm a member of the ndp and they want money of course so i hope you guys if you can if you have the time i'm not quite sure what you can do volunteering wise but i would suggest you go out and do it if you haven't donated if you have a political party that you believe in that you want them to win it's worth it to throw them any amount of money whatsoever any amount of money ten dollars could be twenty dollars if you want to go crazy maybe fifty dollars whatever it can because uh if you were unaware the conservatives when they were in power in the early 2010s there used to be a law where it was two dollars per vote so when an election happened um political parties received funding um for which amounted to two dollars per each vote that was cast for them so this is on the federal scale so if a, a party got i don't know thirty thousand votes federally they would get sixty thousand dollars from the government for campaigning uh, and that was a way to offset the whole, um, you know, the whole campaign fund, fundraising, um, the lopsidedness when it comes to that, right? When you have larger parties and smaller parties, you want to have it be, you don't want a party that's super popular, that gets a lot of votes, then it just gets trashed because a whole bunch of rich people hop on board another party and they get all the advertising money. You know, that's not fair. Well, the conservatives uh, repealed that law. And so because of that, it's basically all, or majority, a significant amount from donations and whatnot. So, you know, to help out the parties you enjoy and whatnot, and remember that, so. All right, so the next major story that we have, or I have, why am I saying we? I'm too used to not being by myself, so, that we have is finally... The United States has decided to pull out of Afghanistan. You know, I didn't believe that Biden would be the one to do it. I didn't think he would. I thought uh, Trump might do it. But, uh, of course, anything that he said on the campaign trail was uh, uh, bullshit. So so now Biden, neoliberal Biden, 87 years old, barely um, barely coherent, 
He's shitting in a bag. Um, he's being propped up like Weekend at Bernie style in his presidency. He's not going to make it through his full term. There's no way in hell. Kamala Harris will be president by the end of his term. I can guarantee that. Well, I can't guarantee you, but it's likely that he's going to kick the bucket before then. I'm just saying, you know. But uh, after, so yes, the U.S. has finally decided that they're going to start pulling out of Afghanistan. Apparently it started like three months before or whatnot, the, um, the pullout of removing of troops slowly. But so basically Biden had set the deadline for U.S. troops to be pulled out fully by August 31st. Now it looks like that's going to have to be pushed back, pushed back for a while, maybe um, until the end of September. But um, they're saying that the deadline, the Taliban, the Taliban had agreed to this was August 31st. So they got to get the hell out of there before um, and evacuate all the civilians they can that supported the United States uh, invasion. Um, so that way there isn't, you know, any retaliation by the Taliban against them, which is likely. Um, so basically, while the whole pullout was announced and whatnot, the uh, the Taliban launched a. Uh, an offensive. Uh, starting on May 1st, and basically made significant advances in the countryside, basically destroyed everything that the United States has set up in the past 20 years of being there. The whole uh, puppet government they set up in Afghanistan, taken over very fast. They increased the number of districts it controlled. The Taliban increased the number of districts under their control from 73 to 223 in three months. And on 6th August, the Taliban launched an assault on the provincial capitals of Afghanistan, with most of the towns surrendering without a fight. And they captured all the provincial capitals except for one. And on 15th August, the incumbent president, Ashraf Ghani, fled the country with apparently, I don't know, something ridiculous, like $15 million or something like that. So it's reported that he fled with $169 million with him. He hopped on a helicopter, and they got the hell out of there, and went to, um, and were given asylum in Dubai. But, you know, that's a typical, a typical, um, you know, appointed by the invader, you know, corrupt president appointed by the invader basically appointed by the invader and in the face of challenge to his presidency just ups and leaves very early on doesn't see the actual transition of power and takes all the money with him so nice job nice job the united states so yeah and of course the uh taliban captured kabul the the uh capital of afghanistan and there's a map there's a nice map here of all of, of afghanistan with all of the taliban territory and what is left of, of the government uh and areas that are contentious and it's like all it's all black black is taliban control it's all black there are some areas that are contentious that are gold and there's a tiny strip of red which is the government and that's it fully taken over and this is in the face of what uh joe biden said on 8th of july when he said, quote, the likelihood there's going to be the Taliban overrunning everything and owning the whole country is highly unlikely, uh, end quote. That's what he said. So, of course, full of shit, immediately everything collapses. And that's what you get. That's after 20 years of occupation, you know, after the initial invasion, the wrongful invasion of Afghanistan, because um, George Bush and, and the government believe that, uh, that al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden were hiding in Afghanistan. And the Taliban even uh, made negotiations that they would capture or that they had been Laden and they would give him over. Uh, and 
instead of negotiating with, which I don't know if it was true, right? I mean, it's the Taliban, right? But uh, instead of negotiating with them, they decided to, uh, they said, we don't negotiate with terrorists, and they immediately invaded. So I don't know if that's exactly what that term, we don't negotiate with terrorists, is supposed to mean. Uh, I think it's the whole thing you're supposed to disincentivize them from doing, like, acts of terrorism. Um, But you're kind of just disincentivizing them from, like, being cooperative um not not the smartest move and ever since then you know uh the actual there's a, um i remember there's a chart that showed the actual uh, membership of uh of the taliban increasing significantly since the 2001 invasion so it actually went up the people in the taliban and the actual amount of territory the taliban had controlled in afghanistan uh increased significantly as well since the uh, 2001 invasion so yeah, because they had a, an enemy to rally against, right? They had a foreign invading force, an imperial force to rally against. And, uh, and you know, they kill a lot of civilians in Afghanistan. They fucking kill a lot. So here's some numbers for you, okay? Since 2001, around 241,000 people have been killed in Afghanistan and Pakistan war zone since 2001. More than 71,000 of those killed have been civilians. And among those dead as well are 158 Canadian soldiers. So, and that's not including the thousands of uh, other veterans who were wounded uh, horribly uh, from their time in Afghanistan. And that's uh, also comparing that to the 2,372 U.S. military deaths in Afghanistan as well. So, there's a lot of blood shed. And what was it for? What was it for? Nothing. There's no reason for it. This is what you got. You got the Taliban now control all of it. Now, what the other alternative was you just stay there forever because which would just be as more disastrous, in my opinion, because you end up killing a lot more civilians. You, you're um, lengthening an armed conflict, which is a messy situation. And I mean, you know, it's clear that the civilians don't want you there because it wouldn't have fallen. Listen, that that assault the Taliban offensive wouldn't have been as, as successful if the population wasn't totally in support of it. Because most of the towns surrendered without a fight. And I understand there are a lot of, and we'll talk about that soon, the, the people trying to leave Kabul is a, um, you know, is a very sorrowing sight to see all these, uh, you know, that one image of all those people trying to cling to that airplane taking off, right? Um, and people falling off and dying, obviously. Um, you know, that's terrible. I understand a lot of people don't want to live underneath uh, Taliban rule. I mean, I don't. Fuck, I don't, I don't want that shit. But, um, but it seems like a majority of the population there support it. And, yeah. So, yeah, what was that, all those deaths for? You know, Afghan, Afghanistan, something to point out, is extremely mineral dense. Possibly $2 trillion worth of linum, lithium in its soil with virtually no oil and lots of uh, poppy farms for creating opium. And uh, U.S. contracts were given to uh, third-party companies to, you know, claim those resources. And so a lot of people got rich off this war, not to mention the military-industrial complex, the, the contractors like Raytheon and Boeing. And you look at their stock prices since the war began, and of course, it's just a, a straight, you know, they, they gained a lot um, from having a war. To constantly that constantly needs their equipment for them to make so i mean i'm glad that we got to afghanistan i mean it was a pointless war 
It was a country that never attacked us, never attacked the United States. Uh, the Taliban only ever did terrorist attacks and uh, around the Afghan pa- Pakistan region. Now, hold on. Let's go on and talk about, okay, yes, Taliban, horrible group. But now that they have, you know, they've done some things since they took over. They are, even though they're anti-modern medicine, they are allowing vaccinations to be distributed and are helping set up vac centers. How effective they are, I don't know. And, you know, they attempted to set up, what was it, a WhatsApp helpline? using whatsapp in kabul because there was a shit ton of lootings after the power outage uh, but facebook shut them down I, I, and but it's like because they're the taliban but they're just like trying to help people not get looted right like fuck so that was a, a brainiac move by facebook but let's go and ask yes taliban terrible sharia law they're extremely conservative and and uh restrictive version of sharia law not good women's rights in the toilet all these terrible things very similar to a country that the united states is very allied with very close with saudi arabia with the wahhabist uh wahhabist sunni extremist government and the taliban are a wahhabist extremist uh, sunni group as well and you have to look back and ask okay what where did the Taliban come from? They just, they just came out of nowhere. Like they've always been there. There's like when the media talks about them, it seems like we're talking about them like uh, they were just a constant in Afghanistan, always and always have been. Now that's not true. You have to look back. In the last, so if you look back to the Soviet invasion, 1978 or was 1979, uh, Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan. They attempted to set up like a puppet regime uh, in Afghanistan that was communist. That was super like anti-religious, and obviously that's not going to work out in that region. But um, to bolster the government, they invaded, uh, and also for you know all of the um, the mineral wealth underneath the Afghan soil, and it was just like the uh, United States invasion. It was just as uh, grueling and devastating, and it's where empires die. That's what they say about Afghanistan because. Yeah, the Soviet Union got fucked up. They were there for like 10 years. They got out in 1989. And they went in there in 1979. And so during that time, the CIA, obviously the United States, and uh, was attempting to quote-unquote fight communism and the expansion of communism uh, using whatever means they could. And of course that meant training local militias on the ground. And at the behest of Saudi Arabia, they were told to train, arm, and train and give funding to, of course, the uh, extremist uh, Sunni militias on the ground in particular. That's what they were told to do. And, oh, that's what they did, right? And that group of uh, militias, which uh, end up being the largest group, of course, they were being supported by a, a world power, was known as the Mujahideen. The Mujahideen. And they were the, uh, the so-called freedom fighters uh, in Afghanistan. And uh, there are articles pulled up and whatnot about, um, uh, you, you know, how they're rebels and, uh, you know, they're the freedom fighters in Afghanistan. They're fighting the Soviets. They're protecting the country from communism and whatnot. And what happened after the Soviets pulled out? The Mujahideen broke up into two different groups. And can you guess what those groups were named? The Taliban and Al-Qaeda. One group, the Taliban, wanted just to have a local caliphate, as it's called, an Islamic empire which was uh, supposed to be just Afghanistan and Pakistan. That's it. 
Afghan the Al Qaeda wanted all. They wanted to do a worldwide caliphate, and so they didn't agree with those two things, and they split up. And that's where you have it. The United States created the Taliban and Al Qaeda. You know, they played themselves. It's called blowback, the term, when the CIA does some fiddles and some shit, or the United States does, and then it blows up right in their face. Yeah, it's called blowback, and that's what the whole Afghanistan situation is. It's just a massive blowback, and they've been fighting their mess that they made since 2001. Like a bunch of dumbasses. Um, and so, you know, keep that in mind when we talk about Afghanistan. It is a mess that the United States created in many ways. But, uh, but yeah, now the Taliban has control of the country. And, um, you know, it would have had the same, there would have been the same outcome if we had pulled out 10 years in the future from now, you know. But uh, something that happened recently in uh, Kabul was, even though we have Taliban in control, another terrorist group, ISIS, and, and if you're not unfamiliar, ISIS is actually at war with the Taliban and with Al-Qaeda. They all hate each other. Interesting, right? So it's because one group wants to name a caliphate after their leader or whatever. Uh, and, of course, ISIS also wants to have a caliphate, but with a different leader. And they're like, yo, we're at odds here. We want two different things. And so they're like, okay, well, fuck you, we're going to fight. That's basically the whole, that's a simplified version, but that's basically what's going on between ISIS, Al-Qaeda, and the Taliban. So ISIS went into Taliban territory into Kabul and did a terrorist attack at the Kabul airport um, only a few, like three days ago, August 27th. So, you know, and this, this mirrors what, uh, this is actually called ISIS-K, Khorasan, the, which is the province, the uh, ISIS-like branch that works in Afghanistan and Pakistan and India. So, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's how it is. But yeah, they, uh, fucking sucks. <laughs> That's how it is. But I'm, I'm glad the U U.S. imperialism has calmed down at least a little bit. Um, you know, and that Canada is out of there. We are actually going to have somebody to talk about the situation from the military at a point in the future. Uh, soon as like an interview style. So we'll see how that goes. But, um, but yeah, you know, I said I was going to talk about that, that whole moratorium evictions thing. But you know what? I think this one's gone for a solo podcast. And uh, I think this one's gone on for long enough. So uh, we'll talk about that when Derek is back. Perhaps we'll bring an interview for you guys. So uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this uh, brief discussion, at least, on some of the more recent things that has happened. And I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your day. Remember to like the podcast and follow and do all the other sort of things. Download. That helps. And uh, so, yeah, that was the Canadian Perspective signing off. <laughs>